Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And you know, Julie, we uh, we recently did an episode about cyber immortality yeah. and about the idea of preserving who we are in electronic form. And uh, we got into ideas of like, what is the mind? What is the soul? And uh, something came up in the research that we didn't really go into was was how the more modern medical science uh, analyzed how damage to the brain uh, changes the expression of who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 initially caused a lot of concern with people over over how we would continue to view the soul. Or, or, or even who we are. Cause the idea of, you know, hey, if, if I am my soul, I am this person. Mm-hmm. But then if something can just like, if I get kicked in the head by a horse, that can change who I am. Does that change who, what my soul is? Uh, you know, you, you get into a lot of tricky area there. Right. And, uh, and, uh, and it's interesting that, that we have the, the little turn of phrase, change your mind. Uh, we're always changing our mind, uh, about something and our mind is continually changing. Uh, the person we are a year ago, again, is different than the person we are now. And the person we're going to be tomorrow is different than the person talking right now. Right. So, and certainly things act upon us at times to change our minds for us, right? Right. Our mind is a complicated system. And uh, every day something changes, something upgrades. If, you know how your computer is constantly needing to, to reboot because it just got new upgrades and, and updates have been applied. Well, updates are always being applied. Right. And occasionally your mind, like a computer, can... Uh, can something can spill some coffee in it, or um, or it'll get a virus, or uh, in, name any conceivable computer-related cont- catastrophe, and it could also happen to your brain. So it's really illuminating to look at some examples of catastrophe happening to the human brain mm-hmm. and what the effects are, how um, external or internal stimuli alters the form of the mind, and then therefore alters the uh, if if you want to say it this way, the expression of our soul, right? And and uh, and in going back to like the neuroscience of it too, we've talked about neuroplasticity, but mm-hmm. how your mind changes in that way, what, how it may uh, take up for one part of the other, or you know how it might be completely changed forever. Um, so. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, you know, it's like a, a, a new car, and then it gets uh, sideswiped or something, right. and. Uh, but we got to keep driving this car, so let's find out ways to make it work. Oh, I can't. Nobody can sit in the passenger side seat anymore because it's caved in. That means more people have to go in the back seat. Things like <laughs> same things of that nature, except with the brain. Right. Uh, X channel isn't working anymore, so we're going to have to send more data through Y channel. That's overly simplified, but it's kind of what happens. So we're going to look at a couple of exam- examples of how this is played out in specific cases. Um, particularly with a guy, a very unfortunate guy, I should say. Uh, named Phineas Gage. Yes, Phineas Gage is uh this is this is pretty awesome stuff. Um and I say that because uh, right now I'm I'm uh playing the new Mortal Kombat game at home when mm-hmm. I can when I can sc- scroll away a, f- a few moments here and there. And uh there are these moments in the game where you'll you'll build up this bonus meter and then you'll the it everything will go into an X-ray mode and you'll see like your character like stabbing another character in the face or something and like, you know, something entering one side of the skull and going out the other. And that's exactly what happens with Phineas Gage back in 1848. All right. This guy's a 25 year old foreman for a new Eng- England railroad. He's laying track in Vermont. And each day he goes through this particular um, uh, job. It's like, you know, right. day in, day out. He drills a hole in a large rock. He bores in, he pours in blasting powder. He lays the fuse. And then his assistant covers the explosives with sand. Mm-hmm. 
All right, then he takes this uh, three-and-a-half-foot-long, inch-quarter-thick, uh, uh, what's called a tamping rod, the steel rod, yeah. uh, or iron rod, and he, uh, he tamps the explosives down, and then he lights the fuse, and he runs for cover. All right, so, you know, it, like any uh, act that you do over and over again, your, your mind will start to wander, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and it's easy to make mistakes. It's that whole, like, the more vegetables I cut, the more possible it is that I'll cut off my finger sort of thing. You should always tuck your fingers in, by the way. Yes. You'll never cut yourself if you tuck your fingers in. Huh. There you go. Interesting. Uh, I will try that next time and, and avoid uh, mutilation. But uh, So he gets distracted, old Phineas Gage, and he begins tamping the blasting powder before his assistant adds the sand. Mm-hmm. So there's an ex- suddenly there's an explosion, all right, and it fires that like the explosion blasts this rod straight up, all right, and it it con- it connects with his face, uh, just under his left cheek, all right, and then it skewers up behind his left eye, destroying it, uh, both the eye and the entire front portion of his left brain hemisphere, and then the rod goes through the top of his skull, exits through the top of his skull, and continues to fly on through the right. air and lands several yards away. And so then there, so here's Gage standing with this, uh, this entry ho- uh, hole under his cheek, this exit hole through the top of his skull, like a bit of his, um, his scalp has flapped back, right. you know, to emerge. And, so and whole, not only just yeah. standing, he's completely conscious. Yeah. He's talking. Yeah, he's not walking. dead. Let's, that's important to, <laughs> to, to underscore here because this sounds like, like just a death blow. Yeah. You just had a metal rod dynamited through your skull. Through through, through, yeah. through your face and out the top of your skull. Yeah, a three foot eight inch metal rod. Yeah, with a more than an inch diameter, by the way. Yeah, and but almost immediately after the ag- accident, he's conscious. He's talking, and ins- and and he insists on walking to the cart that's going to take him down to town to be treated. And and along the the ride, he's he's lucid. He's rational during the ride, and he's uh, he's able to speak with his attending physician, a Doctor John Martin Harlow. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, he Harlow treats him, and uh, and uh, and uh, and Gage is actually able to return home to New Hampshire ten weeks later. Yeah, and the thing is too, just so everybody understands, too, he he did he bled for two days. So, um, and then he had an infection. And what Doctor Harlow did is that he he didn't um. He didn't. He wasn't able to suture the hole in his head, right? Right. Uh, but he was able to cover it up, and that's what got the infection, and it actually rendered him semi-conscious uh, for about a month. And in fact, his family started to prepare a coffin for him because they didn't think that he was going to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the infection resolved itself after the fifth week, and um, it, and he seemed to be completely fine. Seemed to be right. I mean, we we know that he left. He lost his eyesight, his left eye, yeah, and then some of his motor abilities on his left hand uh, side of his face. But again, here he is, like he's he can still talk, walk, and cogitate. Yeah, because we're we're talking the brain portion here is the prefrontal cortex, uh, and this is uh, the anterior part of the frontal lobe of the brain, mm-hmm. and uh, generally it has to do with motor and premotor areas, right? Um, but let's but let's talk about just how Gage was before the accident. In addition to having a little more brain and one more eye, uh, he was also supposedly a pretty, you know, efficient, capable employee, a, a decent guy to hang around. Right. You know, he was one of the best foremans, they said. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was a good dude. His only fault was, you know, one out of maybe thousands of times he got a little distracted while, while working with Using a tamping iron. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but after this accident, once he's, you know, he's... He's up and about, really, and and recovered from this uh, these this bout of uh, unconsciousness. 
uh, they find uh, that he is uh, is fitful. He's uh, he's swearing like a drunken yeah, sailor yeah, all the time. It's like he's got Tourette's or something, and uh, and he doesn't seem to care. Uh, and, uh, and he's childlike and bullying. Yeah, right? he doesn't seem to have like he's lost this ability, this like ethical, um, moral. Um, governor in his mind. That's right. His, he's, he's lost his social inhibitions, essentially, right. which we know now that the prefrontal cortex is, is, uh, sort of tamping that kind of down for us, right? So mm-hmm. that we're not all screaming at each other all the time. So, and we know that that's where the tamping iron went through. But of course, you know, back in the day, they did not know this. And it was actually Dr. Harlow who was observing all of this and saying, you know, my patient seems to be physically fine. Like there, there doesn't seem to be any, um, neurological damage, but I think that his personality has changed as a result of this accident. And people were like, they just summarily dismissed him. And the reason for that is because phrenology was really in vogue mm-hmm. during those days. And it was thought that the personality was influenced by the size and the shape and, and even like the bumps on your skull. So they couldn't conceive of how your brain could be changed. I guess you could say internally, they thought it was sort of set in stone in the structure um, and that your personality was sort of set in the structure of your brain. So Dr. Harlow was dismissed on this count while another doctor came in and said, oh, no, this person is completely fine. I don't know what Dr. Harlow is talking about. Yeah, because, I mean, his intelligence was still fine. He, yeah. he, in so many other respects, he seemed perfectly normal. Studies have uh, have suggested that the uh, the frontal lobe actually has separate functional areas, one in the underbelly of the frontal lobes and along the midline between the two brain hemispheres that's that uh, supposedly specialized for making social decisions in an emotional context. And a second, uh, more to the side of the forehead, uh, seems to specialize in abstract calculation, other kinds of uh, decision-making that call upon lesser emotions. So uh, this... This is basically like the case of Gage here, in, a, in addition to being a really grisly, uh, grueling, <laughs> grueling, awful, awful accident. Yeah, it's also Mortal Combat like. Yeah, Mortal Combat like uh, incident. Uh, it's also just a classic case in, in of, of frontal cortex malfunction. And, uh, and, and even these early um, studies about his uh, condition were, were really uh, influential uh, in uh, neuropsychiatry. Uh, and played a crucial role in her discovery of behavioral syndromes resulting from frontal lobe dysfunction. And people continue to have dysfunctions uh, in this area of the brain today, uh, generally not uh, due to uh, dynamite-related uh, rod insertion in right. the skull, but uh, but there are people that have uh, dysfunction in this area, and they perform well on intelligence tests, speak normally, make new memories and association, and use uh, use logic just fine. But you'll also see similar disruptions in the expression of who they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he basically sort of had an unwitting lobotomy, um, which yeah. ended up really helping science understand later on how how the brain functions. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of Tomorrow. And like you said, the other parts of the brain just kind of sort of will function fine, but then you've got him, you know, losing his job eventually because yeah. he became, um, I guess you could say that he became so, uh, I guess, ballistic 
and not not the best foreman anymore. Yeah, he they was, felt like he, he was kind of unemployable. Job. Like he worked yeah. for I think for like a circus kind of a thing for a while. Yeah, he, he took it on the road. Yeah, he went to Chile, and uh, then finally uh, in February 1860, he began to experience uh, epileptic seizures, and uh, that led to his death on May 21st, 1860. Yeah, but um, you know he's famous now. We're talking about him uh, now. Um, Many, many years after his death. And uh, you can even uh, see his skull and the rod at the Warren Anatomical Museum in Harvard Medical School's Countway Library of Medicine. I've seen the photo. It's actually pretty cool because I mean, yeah. if you look at his skull and you look at that three foot, eight inch rod and mm-hmm. just amazing to think that that could have happened and he would have survived it. Yeah, it, it really makes you rethink. I mean, you know, life is fragile. Biologic life is is fragile and brief, but. It's amazing some of the damage that we can that can be inflicted upon us, and we still survive. So yeah, yeah. And another uh, another good example, and this came out. We actually spotted this when we were doing research for the podcast uh, about music changing your brain, and this was about a guy named Tony Sasoria. And in 1994, uh, he was 42 years old, and he's uh, this orthopedic surgeon was in a phone booth when the phone was struck by lightning. It, it entered his foot, and then it exited his head, and he was uh, blown backwards by the force. And then the weird thing is, <laughs> as if that weren't weird enough, is that he had like a big near-death experience. Big near-death meaning that he was sitting there watching as, you know, according to him, as someone gave him CPR, and he was feeling this sort of like one with oneness with the universe and was submitting himself. And he was actually trying to say to the, the person performing CPR, please don't do this. And he could see his mother-in-law and, mm-hmm. you know, he and he and all of a sudden he was brought back in his in his words. Now, it's worth noting that all I think we've discussed in on past uh, podcast and maybe in, in the future that all these near death experiences, there are a lot of compelling scientific explanations for what's happening. So we're not we're not attributing uh, any kind of divine uh, no or, no. or a supernatural occurrence here. No, but he is certainly yes, yeah, uh, this is this is a big thing for Sasori and how he explains what happened to him and 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 actually how he continues to live his life. Um, so what happened then is that. Um, he he seemed to be fine, and actually, they tried to call an ambulance, but he said, "No, no, I'm fine." It's uh, like oddly yeah, enough, people, I've been struck by lightning. People but get no. struck by lightning or have rods fired through their head, and they're like, "Whoa, let's not don't call an ambulance." I'm no, good. no, Let me walk. and he's a surgeon. He's an orthopedic <laughs> surgeon, and he has a PhD in neuroscience. Yeah, okay? so but this he's, is no stupid guy. Just, yeah, no, no, he's like he he knows what happened to him, um, but he says, "You know, I I I feel kind of fuzzy or whatever, but let's not do this." And so later on, he does get checked out. Um, he gets an EEG and it shows there is no cardiac arrest, right? Uh, he gets an MRI. Everything seems okay. Uh, about four weeks later, during this 48-hour period, he just has this incredible, insatiable desire to hear piano music. And previously, he's more of a, a Zep fan, right? I mean, he's, he's in the classic rock. And, roll, rock and yeah. And you, it probably doesn't even have NPR um, programmed into his uh, his car's uh, stereo system. I bet he does secretly, secretly, but I bet most of the time, right? He's he's doing that yeah. Or if he turns in, he's just tuning in for like marketplace or whatever, and then uh, you know instantly clicks off when the the classical starts playing. Right. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, this is someone who never had sort of a predilection for classical music before, but all of a sudden is just completely taken by it, um, obsessed with it. 
has to play it, has to hear it, gets sheet music, begins to learn it. Uh, serendipitously, his babysitter asks if he can store her piano for him. So all of a sudden mm-hmm. the piano shows up, he starts playing piano. And you have to understand he's, he's resumed his job. Right. He's had a little bit of temporary memory loss, like he can't remember some of the surgical procedures, the names for him. But then that all falls away. And he's once again whole in the sense that he can perform his jobs to the best of his faculties. Except he has this maddening desire to play the piano and compose piano music. Yeah. So, I mean, he literally runs home from his job and that is what he does until, you know, four o'clock in the morning. And then he gets up again. I don't know, three hours later, goes and performs surgery, yay, and comes back and does it again. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt here that there's something odd going on. Yes. That that before this, he never could have cared less about classical music, playing it, so on and so forth. And then he has a dream that he's in a tux and he's performing in front of an audience, a piece that he wrote. And he begins himself to be flooded by compositions. So he begins composing. Wow. It's insane. And he is actually uh, talking to Dr. Oliver Sacks about this, who's the author of Musicophilia and uh, other books, um, neuroscientist as well. So uh, Sacks was completely taken by this case because he, he could not figure out what had happened. Um, and, and let's just kind of step back for a second and remember that he was struck by lightning. Yes. So obviously something tinkered with him. And if well, he, the, the brain is basically... An, an electronic system. Yeah. Um, and electronic impulses are, are a vital part of how it operates. So you, you're disrupting that with a bolt of lightning. Yeah. Yeah. Not just and, and the, a bolt of lightning, uh, which could be as high as 30,000 amperes with 1 million or more volts and could last, uh, you know, something like 1 100th millisecond. Um, so yeah, we're talking about getting your brain fried. And it's amazing to think, too, that this happened and that he's pretty much intact, you know, plus this obsession, um, when something like 25% of lightning strikes to individuals result in fatalities, and then those who do survive, 75% sustain permanent damage. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this guy is sort of like a unicorn among, you know, lightning. Yeah, the, the damage survivors. he sustained is like the best possible damage. You know, it's like how many people out there wish they could be struck by lightning and it would wake up some artistic, creative, uh, you know, just, I mean, because even, assuming even he, I mean, he's really good yeah. at playing piano and, uh, and, and, and composing. But even if he wasn't, like the idea that lightning turned on this new area of his life that he just tremendously enjoys. You know, even, even yeah, if he right. just really sucked at playing piano, he, he would at least be enjoying it. You're right. It wouldn't matter, right? Because right. he's, he's getting so much out of it. And I did actually, I wondered about that because I, I went online to listen and I thought, oh no, I wonder if he's put all this effort into it. And <laughs> it's kind of like my dog has, please, you know, <laughs> but he's actually, you're right. He's, he's a, a very good pianist, um, and does compose his own original material. Um, so it's kind of hard to get some sort of medical revelation out of this because Cesoria, as we talked about before, he doesn't, he, he attributes this to some sort of um, mystical religious experience, and he doesn't want to be studied uh, because he doesn't want to lose that feeling. Which, again, is kind of maddening because because he's, he's, a, he's a surgeon. He's, he knows how the body works. He knows how the brain works. And and so it doesn't really seem like there would be much room uh, to for the, for disillusionment. It seems like he would already basically have all the answers 
uh, right there before him. Yeah, and that's what Sachs says too. Is yeah. like, okay, this is again, this is a guy who has a PhD in neuroscience. He knows on some level that there's there's a basis for what has happened neurolog- neurologically, um, and you can tell that Sachs really wants to get in there and yeah. like study because he's because he's sitting there thinking, you know, there, there's this one clip of Sachs and he's sitting there talking about. It, and he's like, there's something that happened in that 48 hour period, um, and then he even talks to about, you know, there's we've seen correlations that parts of the brain and the temporal lobe. Um, can give rise to a mystical euphoric feeling. We know this um, when when that part of the brain is stimulated. Um, and, and in fact, when we sometimes talk about religious experiences or even experiences with music, we know that that part of the brain is going nuts, right? Right. Uh, so it's fascinating. It's, you know, I understand where he's coming from. I mean, this is uh you know with Sosoria that this is something that has happened to him and she, this is his great love and obsession in his life and he doesn't want to look under um you know under the covers and see what's going on but at the same time it's like and, and why piano music like uh, think of all the 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 less uh, appealing things he could have been struck with like what if he was like struck by lightning he wakes up and he's like I've got to become a prop comic Get me, give me some watermelons and a and a chest and a hammer. I'm gonna hit. I need the road. an axe. Yeah, yeah, and a big mustache. <laughs> Could have been much worse. Yeah, yeah, I know it is. It's fascinating. So it it also brings to mind. Um, you know, we're talking about brain is an electronic system. Um, lightning is electricity disrupts it. Um, it it also brings to mind uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation or TMS. Yeah. Um, and this is a much. It's kind of like a much lighter controlled and uh, and. Far, far less severe uh, technique um, and that is actually used uh, in treatment of some uh, uh, cases of depression mm-hmm. and, and other uh, anomalies. Uh, it's uh, you'll have what basically looks like a little rod or a little paddle, and you move it next to a person's skull in just the right area, and uh, it produces magnetic fields to stimulate nerve cells in the brain. And and this can, if used correctly, can improve symptoms of depression. Uh, so you have people that will go in. You know, it's like people who have, generally it's people who have a, a, a number of mental issues and you don't want to actually go to the met, to the extremes of using uh, electroshock, mm-hmm. which is a more severe version of, uh, you know, a little more akin to lightning than this. Uh, but they'll go in and they'll, they'll get a TMS treatment for like half an hour. And, uh, they found that it, uh, they can actually be pretty, uh, pretty uh, successful. Yeah, and this is um, actually, if, if I remember correctly from John Horgan's book, Rational Mysticism, uh, he goes to the Dr. Michael Persinger, who has the God machine, right? Oh, yes. Which is along the same lines as like this helmet that you put on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is that you could create these spiritual, mystical experiences by by messing with the magnets and the temporal lobe. Um, and we've talked about this before too with alien abductions. Um, that Susan Blackmore who has looked into this before actually she herself went and had her temporal lobes manipulated this comes sounds kind of dirty um and had a, a feeling that there was someone in the room actually and had this sort of experience um that had some of the hallmarks of alien abduction so we already know we know that there's some manipulation that can happen here yeah, it, it comes down too to the uh, the whole idea that there's the world of our thoughts, and then there is the external world, and uh, and and some would argue that there's really only one world, and that's the one in our brain. That everything we perceive, everything we feel, really takes place um, in the uh, the back corner of the uh, fleshy electronic globe that is in our skull. So you you start messing with that, you give it a shock, you fire a rod through it, and uh, 
you're 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 changing the world as you perceive it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, right? Yeah. Because I mean, and I mean it sounds some of that sounds kind of straightforward, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I mean, how do you experience you can't experience someone else's view, right? You right. can only experience your own. So, um it would make sense that you know, even though there's these commonalities of our existence, if you screw up the wiring a little bit, then a lot of that will get out out the window. Yeah, it's really in a way it's kind of an outrageous overstatement of the obvious, but but yeah, when a when a horse kicks somebody in the skull, it's not simply a matter of changing that person or changing that person's mind, but it changes the universe uh, from that one person's perspective. Right. And ultimately, that one person that's the, the individual perspective is the only perspective. We can never know another person's mind completely. Right. And uh and yeah, so it changes the world. And Oliver Sacks, he has a book uh is it called The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat? Yes. I believe, yes. yeah. And he talks a little bit more about this, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the, these sort of assumptions that we make about, you know, a glass is a glass or a pen is a pen can, you know, be quite jumbled up in the brain when things go wrong. Yeah, the line between what we call sanity and what we call insanity is often far uh, far briefer and uh, far more fragile than we give it, yeah. give our, give it credit. Absolutely. And uh, not not that I would say that Jill Bolte-Taylor is insane or sane. Um, actually, she is quite sane. But using that sort of example of how tenuous our, you know, our existence is, uh, at least in our psyche, if you look at Jill Bolte-Taylor, she is the neuroanatomist who mm-hmm. witnessed her own stroke when a blood vessel exploded in the left hemisphere of her brain. Uh, she documented that in a great TED Talk. Uh, if if uh, nobody's ever seen that before, it's worth checking out. Yeah, we'll definitely put it up on the blog post accompanying this uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she, of course, she's a brain researcher. She was completely, it's, it's, it's very interesting to hear her talk about this because she was absolutely astounded that she recognized that she was having a stroke. And so she was sitting there as the events were unfolding, sort of tagging every single thing that her brain mm-hmm. was doing as much as she could. It was December 10th, 1996. She woke up, discovered she was having this stroke. And uh, two and a half weeks later, she underwent major brain surgery to remove a golf ball-sized blood clot that was placing pressure on the language centers of the left hemisphere of her brain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, th- she does detail this one part of uh, when, when she first started having the stroke, I guess the, the first four hours, actually, right. before she was hospitalized. And she says she couldn't walk, she couldn't talk, she couldn't read or write or, or recall parts of her life. And she says that she essentially became an infant in a woman's body. Um, and she goes on to explain a little bit more uh, to the audience. She talks about how the right hemisphere uh, is consciousness of the right here, the right now, processing what we see. Uh, we smell and fear. It's it's very much part of the limbic system, which mm-hmm. is associated with emotion. Or to, or to get a little hippy dippy here, um, it's, <laughs> bring it, on the patchouli. It's like uh, the the right hemisphere lives in the now, and the left yeah. hemisphere is the brain chatter that is worrying about the past or fearing the future. Um, like it's the left brain that. Uh, that you're always trying to turn off when you're meditating or even when you're just like you're, you know, you're running or swimming or engaging in something, uh, just trying to, to turn off that chatter. Well, it's it's observing everything that's going on the right mm-hmm. side of the brain. Let's, the right side of the brain is processing what's going on right now, but my left side of the brain is tagging and categorizing little details from what's going on right now, and it's applying it to what might happen in the future. It's worried about the future. Yeah. It's um it's very much concerned with um uh, calculating intelligence, right? What constitutes me or I? 
Yeah. So it's ego. It's yeah. It's tied up in just a a lot of very important aspects of who we are, but also some of the more problematic. I would say, like, yeah. Well, well, this is the seat of judgment, right? So we're, yeah. you know, which and we know can be problematic. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the really cool things about this talk, I mean, there are many cool parts, but um, she brings out a brain, and she actually, you know, with with the spinal cord attached, yeah, rips it right out of a person's skull. Yeah, it's which another is another fatality. Right, right. And she said, you know, I told you, someone in the front row is going to get it. So I don't know why they were surprised, but um, <laughs> but she pulls out the brain, and then I'm sorry. <laughs> An assistant brings her a brain um, that was obtained by legal means. And she shows how the right and left hemisphere are truly, absolutely separate. It's this, the corpus callosum in the middle that connects them, right? Right. So she's, she's doing this to demonstrate how very different, you have two very different machines in your brain working in tandem. So the reason why she's talking about that and why we're talking a little bit more about the left and the right is that because she had that, uh, that blood clot on the left hemisphere, she was losing temporary functionality in it during mm-hmm. those four hours and, and many years after, actually. Um, and so she began to witness herself blending with the rest of the world. That was the result is that, you know, once she shut up that part of her brain, the right brain, the here and the now, she started to see like the boundaries of her body dissipate and sort of meld with the rest of the world. Wow. Which so is like an very incredibly trippy. Zen type moment, like this kind of like ohm you know, universal frequency kind of a thing. She yeah. just kind of melded into the universe. Yeah, and she was very much entranced by this and was sort of sitting there thinking like, oh, wow, my body is doing this. And then she would say her her left part of her brain would start to come back online mm-hmm. and be like, you need to get help. And then her right part of her brain would say, like, chill this out, is man. so cool. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, like I'm witnessing this about myself. And then the other side's like, so seriously, we need to go to hospital. Right, hospital. right. And that's what the left side of the brain just kept coming online trying to get her. And that's why it took her so very long to get to the hospital, too, because she couldn't, she lost the ability to even read numbers. So mm-hmm. she was trying to, you know, dial the phone and so on and so forth. Um, oh. So I think it's fascinating that she had that experience in that it took her eight years to recover. And she says that the reason she knows it was eight years, um, that there was the marker there, is that for eight years after that, she experienced herself as a fluid being. Yeah. I'm going to quote her real quick from her uh, TED Talk. This was you know, the, the whole fluid uh, being uh, revelation. She says, we are energy beings connected to one another through the consciousness of our right hemispheres as one human family. And right here, right now, we are brothers and sisters on this planet here to make a world a better place. And in this moment, we are perfect. We are whole and we are beautiful. And it is it is an incredible talk. And I will have to say that if you are uncomfortable with any of the sort of hippie to be right here, right now stuff, it might make you kind of cringe a little. But you have no, no, to- I think if someone's uncomfortable with it, this is just this is just me. But like you should really stop and, and try and, and disconnect yourself from fear of of fear for the future and worrying about the past, because yeah. there is that that it's right there in your head. Um, you, you know, each side. And if you could just give a little more uh, emphasis to the, the part of you that's living in the moment, um, it, can, it can be phenomenally uh, um, comforting. Well, and this is what she's saying, too. And the reason why I brought that up is because there is sort of like a Spockian part of me that when I was watching it, I was like, oh, my goodness, she is 
she is exhibiting a lot of emotion right now. Um, <laughs> but then I was thinking about it and she is, she has lived in this state for so very long where she, you know, through therapy, she finally got, you know, both hemif- hemispheres of her brain functioning that she has, she does have something to talk about here that, mm-hmm. that you can live, that you can learn something about living in the right part of your brain and living in the now and applying that to your life like it that it is a choice but yes you do have these two different machines in your brain but there is um there is this point of living that is accessible um that that she said that is her her the main thing that she wants to tell people about her experience um is that you don't have to be you know caught in under the glass of your left hemisphere all the time and functioning, you know, and, and, and serving your ego all the time. Right. So, yeah, I thought it was a really fascinating thing. Um, and then I did, again, like, she, she sort of, she does sort of seem out there, but this is a woman who has been living this. She's, yeah, she's she's out there, but she's been there, you know? It's yeah. like, this is not somebody just saying, hey, turn off uh, half of your brain and, and, you know, drift free. She's, a half of her brain was turned off or, you know, for a, for a period of time here. And, uh, and she got to experience that. For realsies, you know? Oh, for, yeah. And at the very end, she says something that's really intriguing. She says, okay, that here's the right part of my brain, which is one with the world, which sees this beautiful, uh, flowing existence. And here's the left part of my brain that tells me I'm Jewel Bolte Taylor and I'm a neuroanatomist and I'm a steamed researcher of the brain. And which one would you pick? Mm-hmm. And I thought that's such an interesting proposition. Yeah. Um, and she's not saying you have to pick. That's whole. That's her whole point. But she's saying that you could, if 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 you are, if you're bound to one part of your brain, that that's uh, that's the sort of choice that you could make for yourself. Yeah. yeah. It's enlightening stuff, uh, scientifically and uh, and uh, and I think uh, spiritually, if you're into that kind of thing. So. Yeah. Well, hey, we have uh, we have some. Uh, some uh, words from our listeners here in the form of emails. Well, actually, one is from Facebook, and I'll read that one first. Uh, this is a response. We received a lot of response to our five-fingered uh, evolutionary discount podcast, which had to do with uh, why we have five fingers and how our our five fingers actually uh, influence our number system. Uh, so our listener, Julia, um, who uh, I guess I can't read her last name, but she has like a wonderful, beautiful sounding uh, like, uh, uh, I don't know, Icelandic last name or something, or perhaps Greenlandic, because she's writing about Greenland. Uh, she says, by the way, the word for the number 20 in Greenlandic is Inuk Nalu, and I'm probably saying that wrong, but Inuk Nalu, which translates to whole person, 10 fingers, 10 toes, awesome language. That's so cool. Yeah. Because yeah. we, in the podcast, we were talking about how the word for seven, uh, is something like one hand, two fingers. Yeah. Right. So that's very cool to know. Listener, uh, Emily writes the following. I love the House of Works podcast and you've been a constant and informative companion as I'm toiling away rehabbing my house. The, the podcast on brain function neurology and its ability to rewire inspired me to share my experience. A few weeks before I started law school, I had a seizure, uh, caused by a cavernous Anigoma. Imagine a vein with a weak spot that balloons from the pressure and then leaks or burst. The brain bleed was in my visual cortex, and after brain surgery, uh, the most challenging part of my recovery was that I couldn't see properly. It was double vision, like a bad headache or vertigo causes. I also was missing part of my visual field, like a spot where objects would become invisible. Consequently, I had trouble judging depth and typing or reading, required uh, uh, nose to the screen, one-eyed closed typing. Uh, 
About four days after the surgery, I was out on a walk with my sister, and all the anomalies vanished. I went, I went to having double vision and no depth perception to seeing normally. It was instantaneous. The brain was clearly rebuilding its network, and the final wire got connected. The missing spot in my eyesight also diminished, but hasn't totally left. If I move my hand in front of my eyes, it has one place where it will disappear. However, the brain filled in the gaps, and unless I look for the little black hole, I would forget it was there. My recovery was fine, though a few weeks later I was diagnosed with epilepsy. Epilepsy is a really interesting condition and might make a good topic. I've always wondered how many people have hidden or exploited it. I adjusted to my new identity as an an epileptic by blogging for six months, and uh, her uh, blog address is uh, sacreddisease.blogspot.com. It's all one word, sacred disease. Uh, it, is, uh, it has been almost eight years since that first seizure, and I continue to love hearing more about the brain, its eccentricity, and superpowers. Thanks for the great podcast, Emily. Hmm. So that was really illuminating, especially given some of the stuff we were just talking about. Yeah, I was just thinking about that, too. Um, very cool stuff. Yeah, I uh, love hearing from listeners about their personal experiences with... Uh, with uh, various uh, neurological conditions, or um, you know, or, or anything that could conceivably um, be viewed as, as supernatural or weird. I mean, I mean, how did people interpret this kind of thing in, in the past before we understood how how the brain affects uh, how things work? You know, the idea that there would be this invisible part in your in your sight. Uh, yeah, it's, right. It's really perplexing. Yeah, and then I'm sure that people didn't even tell someone before just for fear of someone thinking that they might be mad, right? Yeah, before. things turn invisible if I look at them. Right, right. Crazy. It's not something you would probably say 100 years ago. Yeah. but, but Or they, even 50 years ago. Yeah. But thanks, Emily. That was uh, it was really awesome insight into, uh, into a personal uh, neurological experience there. And if you have experiences you want to share or you just want to see what we're up to online, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We're Blow the Mind, one word, on both of those, or just uh, go to Google and type in Blow the Mind. And you can always drop us a line at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.